Hello and welcome to In the Days of Noor with me, Noor, where we talk about Islamic-related topics and social issues. So today I wanted to just share some of my reflections with you all. Recently, a sheikh had mentioned a hadith about more women being in hell. So of course I've heard this hadith many times and as a woman you kind of don't know what to make of it and especially when I would hear it in my youth and then when I got older I just felt like people were using it against women but I never really looked into it to know the truth of the hadith or the meaning or what is this about and so when I had gotten older, then alhamdulillah, I had learned that women also made up the majority of those in heaven. And I thought, wow, subhanAllah, I've heard this hadith so many times about women being more of the people in hell. And I've never heard this hadith about women being more of the people in paradise. Of course, you know, my mind starts going off thinking about misogyny and just sexism and all of that and how could this be and I want to say that that is important it's important that we realize that Islam is just first and foremost and Islam is not a misogynistic religion but unfortunately I think we should realize that there have been a lot of dominant misogynistic interpretations or rather than interpretations it's almost a hmm, maybe a kind of slanting or I can't think of the word exactly but essentially if you just tell half of the story so you have you kind of paint a certain image that isn't accurate if you are able to see the whole picture. And even recently, I read, I was reading Sheikh Noor's explanation of Kawamun and what does that mean? And so one of the explanations that he shared from a classical scholar is that it says in the Quran, like a few verses before, or maybe even the verse before, that it's talking about men having a larger share of inheritance than women. And I, I do want to make the note that it that's not absolute. That's something I've, I've also only learned maybe in the past couple of years. There are some cases where a woman would get more than a man, but there are cases where men get more than women. And maybe that's more dominant, Allah on them. But this scholar mentioned that in the Quran, a few verses before this verse about Kawamun or Kawamuna, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking about men having a larger share of inheritance than women. And so he's saying that this verse shows that even though men are favored in this particular aspect, then we see that women are favored in the next verse or so a few verses later because men have the responsibility to financially take care of them. 
So in inheritance, then the man, again, in certain circumstances, he gets more, but the money that he gets, he has to utilize that to take care of, could be his mother, could be his sister, but he has to use it to take care of the women in his life. And so it evens out, right? And, you know, some people will say, well, today women are working, so that it's not just anymore. <laughs> but Alessi Ponotella never told women they had to work. He makes it clear, crystal clear, that women are supposed to be financially provided, not even supposed to be, that it's their right to be financially provided for by the men in their life. He makes that very clear. If we then decide as women, no, we want to work or no, we feel like we should help the men. Well, that's our choice. But it's, that's not unless Allah is doing. So through the Sharia, through God's law, that it is even-handed. It, there is that balance. So if we come back to this hadith about there being more women in hell, which we now know is balanced by the fact that there are more women in paradise, but that's not what I want to focus on in particular in this podcast, in this reflection. I started to think about, you know, it's understandable as women that our gut reaction is to think it's unjust when we hear this hadith. And so it's also our gut reaction to feel like, okay, justice has been served if there are more women in paradise. But there's also something to be said about reflecting on the hadith about more women being in hell in particular. Now, I, I think there are different ways to look at this hadith. So the first one that we already mentioned is to say, well, it's balanced out by the fact that there are more women in paradise. And I think that is valuable, a valuable perspective, especially in the public sphere when we as women can recognize that this hadith is being used against us, it's being used as a misogynistic tool. But there's also another way to look at it and that is to reflect in the hadith itself and to look within ourselves to see if we have any of the characteristics that are said to be of those women. And the interesting thing is that I think as Muslims, sometimes we can get so... almost political in the way that we respond to our religion. So I wrote about this on by the in the com in the blog. It's a post called Cover Your Hair in Salon, something like that. And it's about the fact that, you know, we live in a society where you're not supposed to tell a woman what to wear, how to dress, etc. And sometimes we can bring that attitude into places where it is inappropriate to bring it into. 
And one of those areas that I spoke about in that post is in Salam. So in order for your prayer to be valid, and valid is different from acceptance because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, what he's going to accept and what he won't accept in terms of, let me not say acceptable, subhanAllah, a rewardable, let's say. What Allah will accept and reward and what he will not accept and reward is dependent on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself, right? Even if your salah is completely valid, you may not necessarily get a reward for it in that you're distracted the whole time, you're mumbling through the word, you're not really present, you're not really there. So there's a difference, right? Because there's one aspect of worship that's about getting it done correctly. But then there's another aspect of worship that is about getting it done with excellence. So it's kind of like fit compared to Tisawaf, right? So there, there are two different things and both are important. So it is possible that someone comes to Salah and their prayer is not valid, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still rewards it. And there could be a number of reasons why that could be the case. And we don't know. We don't know. So we certainly don't want to bet on that, right? It's like that, that saying that so many Muslims have adopted of only God can judge me. And it is true. Sometimes it's it could absolutely be the case that someone who appears outwardly religious is less loved by Allah than someone who appears outwardly irreligious. It is possible. We we really don't know. But that doesn't negate the fact that someone who is taking care of their responsibilities is giving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his right. So a woman who is dressed and, and covered herself, she is doing what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has asked of her. She's fulfilling that right. And the woman who doesn't has not in that very specific um this very specific the act, right? If we're just looking at the acts themselves, well, one is fulfilling the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the act of covering their bodies in the way that he has dictated and the other has not. But the whole picture of the person, we don't know. The whole picture of the person is very different. Maybe the person that doesn't dress properly, well, they've only been Muslim for a year, They've been in an abusive relationship. They are struggling every single day to say salah five times a day, to stay connected with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Their connection to Allah has deepened because of the struggles that they're going through. Maybe the person who is dressed completely the way they're supposed to be dressed doesn't pray five times a day their life is completely perfect. They have no struggle. They waste their time watching TV and stuffing their face. Like That's all possible. We don't, no one knows any individual better than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's absolutely possible that the person who appears to outwardly be 
well, the person who is fulfilling one aspect of the religion can holistically be less religious or, or not as close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the person who outwardly people may write off as irreligious. That's absolutely possible. But we do not purposefully say, well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what's in my heart, so I am going to intentionally do the wrong things, right? We struggle. We all have different struggles, but we don't intentionally set out to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we always, we want to have a bit of a higher standard in a sense for ourselves than we do for others. So we want to look at others with an eye of mercy and say to ourselves, give them a million excuses. We don't know what's happening, et cetera, et cetera. But for ourselves, we know ourselves, we know what we are capable of, we know what we are doing. And so we want to strive. It's funny because often it's the opposite, right? We look at ourselves <laughs> with the eye of perfection and we look at others with the eye of doubt. And it really should be the opposite way because we know ourselves better. We know what we are capable of. We know best if we're striving or not. We have no idea what's happening with someone else. So when we approach the prayer, and we can actually extend that to this example, if we see someone praying and they are not covered, then their salah is not valid. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may accept it anyway. Maybe they don't know that they have to cover themselves. Maybe, again, all of the excuses that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would know that it's appropriate or not appropriate for that person. But for ourselves, we don't make excuses for ourselves and say, well, you know, I have on, let's say you're outside and maybe you're you're still struggling with your modesty is probably most of us are on a day-to-day basis, right? You have good days and bad days. And so you have a shirt on that shows some of your arms and you have on tight jeans and maybe your neck is showing, etc. And it is time to pray. Well, you don't make excuses for yourself and say, and say, hey, this is, this is how I am and I'm just going to pray in the clothes I have. Because you should say to yourself, well, Salah is valid with X, Y, Z. And so I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And I'm not going to assume that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will accept it. The Prophet told us, he said that no one will get into paradise except through Allah's mercy. We know that. At the same time, we also know as Muslims that we are to fulfill certain expectations and rights of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We don't go our entire lives drinking alcohol and smoking cigarettes and not praying and having a bad character, et cetera, et cetera, and then just hope that Allah will have mercy. No, we strive as best as we can. And then we still hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mercy on us. So the attitude that we can have sometimes when it comes to religion, or maybe I should say the attitude we should have is as believers, right? That should be 
our primary attitude, even if it's just internally. Because I do understand that sometimes in the public sphere, in the in the public discourse, then we can't really afford to allow things like misogyny to fester in our communities. We have to speak up. And so that forces us to have a certain positioning and a certain perspective within the public discourse. But there also has to be room to say, okay, but as a believer, how do I approach this verse? How do I approach this ruling? How do I approach this hadith? As a believing woman, first and foremost. So we know if we take another hadith about the angels will curse the woman who um, essentially doesn't give in to her husband for no reason um, when it comes to intimacy. And we know this hadith, again, it can be used in a misogynistic way. It can be used by men who are abusing their wives. It can be used by imams who are putting women, putting women down, etc., and so we should acknowledge that and we shouldn't allow this misogyny to fester in our communities. At the same time, as believing women, when we hear this hadith, we should also look at ourselves and say, is that something that I do? How can I avoid not doing it? Not just combat with, well, you know, the Prophet also said that men have to be kind to their wives, or the Prophet also said that men should, um, etc. So we can balance out that hadith by saying, yes, what the Prophet also said men had to do all of these other things. And maybe men in general or men in particular isn't doing that thing. So you can't bring this hadith because, ha, you know, here are all these hadiths against you. And then we kind of use our religion as a way to gain points against each other, right? I think it's important that even when it comes to the most emotionally charged hadith that are sometimes used against us as women, that we still approach it as believers. Now we can do it privately, you know, (laughs) if we feel like that's what's most important so that we keep the conversation against misogyny going so that we make sure we don't allow it to continue in our communities. That's fair. But as believing women, we also have to take a step back and anything that the Prophet says that we do or that we shouldn't do, we should listen and we should say, well, how can I move on that? Or how can I follow that? Or how can I not be one of these people that the Prophet described negatively. So if it's said that many women are in hell because they're ungrateful to their husbands, our gut reaction may be not to listen or to fight back against the hadith, etc. But as believing women, there also has to be room to say, if you're married, right? Well, let me look in the mirror. Is this true for me? Am I ungrateful? And if it is true for us, then we need to fix that and we need to change that. And changing it doesn't mean you accept abuse. Changing it doesn't mean that 
your husband doesn't have things to work on. But it does mean that you as a believing woman are taking steps in order to say, not just within the social context or within the familial context, but within the personal context of you and your Lord, how am I fulfilling the rights that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put upon me? How am I pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And it, it just dawned on me because when um, the Sheikh more recently mentioned this hadith about more women going to hell, it's very instinctual at this point <laughs> for me to go to that place of, you know, well, more women are in heaven or people just use that hadith to be misogynistic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all of which are true. But what does that do for me as a believer? Now, yes, it may make me feel like, well, Allah is just because here's the balance, but it doesn't necessarily draw me closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it doesn't put me in the positioning of saying, how can I make sure that that is not me? How can I make sure that I don't have the characteristics of the women that, that the Prophet said are in the hellfire? How can I make sure that I'm not among the women of the hellfire? Because fighting back and saying, well, more women are in heaven too. That's valuable for the public discourse, but what does it do for me? Am I adopting the characteristics of women who go to paradise? Am I taking heed to not adopt the characteristics of women to, who go to the hellfire? And the example I had used in my post about when it comes to dress, we may say when then criticize hijab, which Trust me, that's just as annoying to me as I'm sure it is for, for any other Muslim woman. But, and that deserves to be a part of the public discourse of the overly critical um, eye of Muslim men towards Muslim women's dress. That deserves to be a part of the public discourse. But how does it help me individually as a Muslim woman if when some man talks about Muslim women who are showing part of their hair or showing their neck and and I just, whether internally or externally, fight back with, well, you should lower your gaze or, well, men need to dress modestly to a well this, well that. That doesn't bring me any nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't make me a better Muslim. It may score me some kind of quote unquote political points and it is good for the discourse because Islam is not heavy-handed against women or men. There is a balance, and there are issues for men, and there are issues for women. But internally, as a believing woman, internally, I have to say, is that true for me? Am I of those women who doesn't take modestly, seriously, whatever the example is, right? And when it comes to prayer, this sort of politically or emotionally charged nature that we tend to view our Islam in, at least in the public discourse, when it comes to our salah, and again, the example of 
men not telling women what to wear, are we taking it so far that even in an act of worship where the validity of your prayer depends on being covered, we still would say, if a man reminded us, you know, how dare you tell me what to wear, my body, my choice, Allah will accept my prayer, you know, whatever we want to say, is that helping us individually? It really isn't. If we become so defensive that, you know, it's like a game of ping pong. You say this, I say that, you say this, but who is drawing nearer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So it was just, it was kind of a reminder for me to take a step back sometimes and not always look at what's just and what's fair in terms of the public discourse or how people tend to utilize and abuse certain language or hadith or Quran against women, which is an important conversation. But am I, have I become so wrapped up in that side of the conversation that I don't acknowledge the side of being a believer first and foremost? And what am I supposed to take from this reminder? Whatever the person's intention is, if it's a reminder from the Prophet or from the Quran, it should be taken seriously. So I just wanted to say, give those few reflections for us as women that we keep the conversation going. We keep talking about the misogyny in our communities. We keep speaking out about that, but we don't allow it to corrupt our heart in the sense that we don't allow ourselves to even receive reminders because we're just so on guard to push back at misogyny, this and you know sexism and all of that. We're so on guard to push back on that. We don't allow the reminders to seep into our heart and to look in the mirror and ensure that we are not of those people who will, whatever the issue is, whether it is the validity of our prayer or more women going to hellfire, whatever the issue is, ingratitude, etc., that we don't solely look at it through the lens of public discourse and society and misogyny, but we also continue to look at it through the lens of us as believers. And subhanAllah, I just thought of another example. I'll just share this one as well. In Ramadan, when you're on your cycle, then you cannot pray as usual and you can't fast, but the fast you have to make up. And some women may feel like, well, that's not fair. I mean, there was a couple years ago when a woman said <laughs> it wasn't fair that women couldn't fast during menstruation, but I think that's kind of on the fringe. But there's some women will say, well, it's not fair that I have to make up those fasts, right? Of no fault of my own, have I missed these fasts? But is that really how we as believers should respond, right? And First and foremost, we have to look at the thick, and if there's a difference of opinion, that's a different story. But for things that are solid, this is the this is the ruling, you know, amongst the methabs. Then, as believing women, is that really the response we should have? Should we really feel as if God is doing some kind of injustice to us? You know, and again, not for things that are difference of opinions, but for things that are agreed upon. 
Or should we rather feel like, okay, well, if this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants from me, this is what I'm going to do. And we all have various levels of struggling, right? It, just because you accept it doesn't mean that tomorrow you're going to make up your fast. You know, some I, I myself a couple of years ago had years of fast that I was missing, and I just I just didn't take it seriously. And alhamdulillah, one year I finally, however it was, you know, sometimes you have to hear something over and over. I finally took it seriously and I completed the fast within the year before Ramadan. So we may struggle for a while and it may be a while before we finally come around, whether it's to wearing hijab or being open with our spouses or not being ungrateful or, um, wearing the proper attire during salon. It may take a while for us to come around to these things, but our first response shouldn't be resistance. Our first response should be acceptance and then trying to figure out how we can strive towards fulfilling these actions so that we're pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because, you know, even though religion has its public sphere and its social sphere, the first and primary reality of religion is me and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not dependent on anyone else. So when we think about that, our primary response shouldn't be argumentation, right? Our primary response... And again, I'll I'll repeat this again, even if it's internally, because these conversations are layered. If a lecturer says more women are going to hell and he's utilizing that in a misogynistic, anti-women, sexist way, he does need to be called out. Women do need to respond and stand up for themselves and do need to know their religion well enough to stand up for themselves. Absolutely. But internally, when we hear that reminder, we also need to make sure that we are not, we don't have the characteristics of those women who will be in the hellfire. And unfortunately, sometimes lecturers do just say women will be more in hell and they don't even give the full hadith that would actually serve as a reminder. So that is, of course, extremely problematic. But in a general sense, when we hear these reminders or some man ranting and raving about women not covering all of their hair, annoying we may want to fight back against it etc and we should because because there are reasons that there are multiple reasons why it's very problematic for men to go on social media on a pulpit and talk about women's dress but internally as women we should also say well is that true of me do I always let my hijab slip back and do I really not make sure to cover properly and have I not really cared, etc.? So I, I I hope that I hope that we can inshallah ta'ala make sure that that's our disposition because it's about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first. As much as annoying as some men can be in the way they utilize different aspects of their religion. It is about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first and pleasing him first and asking ourselves, how can I do that 
despite the social context, despite the person giving the reminder, despite whatever else, how can I please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how can I utilize something that this person may actually be trying to use against me? How can I, in fact, utilize it in my favor to draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And I hope we get to talk soon. Take care. Thank you.